Hello, welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Oh, right. And then I have to introduce somebody. Uh, that wasn't <laughs> awkward. <laughs> you know, I, want, I, want all the, I want all the listeners at home. We, like, talked about this for, like, five minutes, how we were going to introduce our illustrious guest. And then I completely and whipped We have been doing it. this podcast, by the way, for five years, and we still five don't have it Five years, you guys. Five years. Okay. Uh, and we are joined by my very good friend, the one, the only, the only person I think I, I would confidently say enjoys the warrior class more than I do. Phelanor. How are you doing, Phelanor? Welcome to the podcast. Oh, what up, y'all? It's me, too, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I felt it prudent to introduce myself. Do you feel myself. really awkward now that I, like, introduced in this, like, super weird way? No, not really. Okay, that's good. Today is, uh, a, 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 it's like an enormous day in my life because I play a lot of World of Warcraft and also in anybody's life who I guess plays a bunch of World of Warcraft because 9.0 dropped today, right? The pre-patch for the Shadowlands expansion is out, which includes a lot of like the low-level background changes like the level squish and stat rejiggering and all this other sort of stuff. But it definitively ends the Battle for Azeroth expansion, right? Battle for Azeroth was started in 8.0 and then through 8.1, and 8.3, uh, spanned basically the last two years uh, of like the World of Warcraft timeline is officially over. So we are here to give, I guess, like the 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 definitive retrospective. I feel like my opinion is definitive and accurately represents this community. How how do you think? How do how do you feel? Well, uh, in terms of your opinion, I I couldn't say, but it, I feel like my opinion is kind of on a similar spectrum. <laughs> I was around for like the first month of the expansion. Yeah, and so. Mango was around for like the first 15 minutes. Uh, so, you know, it's good that we're starting at the very beginning. So I want to like go all the way back, right? Two years ago, it's 2018. I don't remember what stuff was important in 2018. Were we arguing about Star Wars then? Who can remember? Um, the, we were always arguing about Star Wars. It was just with yeah, Star that's Wars. True. We were always <laughs> arguing not. about Star Wars. Um, Battle for Azeroth launched off of Legion, right? Which was a pretty a pretty well-liked expansion overall. People seem to enjoy Legion quite a bit, though obviously every expansion has its problems that Reddit will immediately blow out of proportion. Um, and brought with it a whole bunch of, you know, like new, interesting systems and subsystems and class changes and all this other sort of stuff, right? So allied races are in, adding new races for, like, to the game um, for the Horde and the Alliance. Uh, they had new game modes like the Warfronts, which is sort of kind of like, it's almost like playing like League of Legends versus bots is how I think about Warfronts in a lot of ways. Uh, Island Expeditions, which are, you know, three people in a group. They go off, they do this thing. It's sort of a timed little adventure. There's a PvP aspect of it, right? We have, you know, like the Heart of Azeroth system and Azerite traits. Uh, we obviously have the the new the new expansion zones of Kultiras for the Alliance, Zandalar for the Horde, right? Um, Mango, you played some of this, right? Uh, yes. Which is why I want to kick it to you first because you're probably gonna have to shut the fuck up for the rest of this podcast. Um, <laughs> what were your What were your thoughts for like 8.0? Uh, it was World of Warcraft, and you know, so I remember the the thing I remember the most was that um, you know. The island expeditions were neat, but, like, not particularly compelling. Um, and I think that might have just been because, like, it was, there wasn't a lot of, like, immediate reward. And so it felt like a thing that I would just have to keep doing and hopefully eventually see some something out of it. I remember mm -hmm. the 
the artifact power placement being incredibly lackluster um in particular because the because they put like the fun powers at the very beginning just like didn't feel great to kind of like level up because you just kept getting more boring powers as you went down the uh, uh, on the uh the pieces with the perks um and uh, i didn't feel compelled to uh want to really like keep like i i didn't feel like a drive to keep grinding the game early um, yeah like you didn't even you didn't even stick around for when we started raiding right no so so in in kind of like my my own the way i i played typically have played wow in the past is i think i tried i started playing i came back to um uh what was the one before this legion i legion? came back to legion yeah. too long before this dropped um and so i spent too much time i basically burned myself out in the legion area before and then like this just wasn't the, the launch wasn't enough to keep out so no i didn't i didn't gotcha. get it on rating yeah i have to be honest with you uh i also think that the azurite system i remember on this podcast i talked about it being like cool and good at the time um because for arms warrior specifically right at the start of the expansion uh azurite traits were really interesting and compelling right um because there was one trait called seismic wave that was more or less overpowered which kind of created this world where there were multiple viable arms warrior builds like right 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 at the start of the expansion and maybe like three or four weeks after that podcast came out they nerfed seismic wave into the ground and arms warriors more or less had one build for the rest of uh for like the rest of the expansion um and i think that at the time you said something kind of along the lines of like the powers aren't really interesting they don't really change up my gameplay all that much um and so i don't really notice them and that kind of makes the system unfun and i think at the very beginning of battle for azeroth that was very true for me too where i was just kind of like you know i get one of these three things and you have to grind the the artifact. You have to grind the shit out of your necklace in order to even unlock the powers in the first place. You unlock the cool powers right up front, which is which is nice. But then it feels like meaningless to continue going after that. That whole system just felt like a fucking mess to me. Uh, Philidor, what, what what did you think? What 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 are your thoughts? So at the very start of the expansion, um, I wasn't as drawn to the game as I was at the end. Um, to Kind of to kind of go off what you guys have said, the Azerite traits did feel like they weren't really all that exciting. Um, and I do remember the seismic, uh, the seismic wave one in particular because that was the build that I was trying to play with, or at least the very end of that build. And then when it got nerfed, it was like, okay, well now I'm stuck with one build. And yeah. to some extent, that still kind of held true um, with a little bit of variance, but. Uh, otherwise, uh, the, the change that was made at the, in the initial start um, did kind of make my gameplay experience a little less enjoyable. But at the same time, once once they made the changes to the traits and uh, implemented a certain other aspect of it, which I guess we might go into later, um, the variants made it that much more enjoyable. And just being able to test little by little as I progressed through the game's, uh, I guess, um, the system that they implemented at the end, um, that's that's when things picked up. 
And so, yeah, I definitely feel that. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Legion Legendaries, which started and I would say sucked out the gate, which might be a mean or whatever. But like over time, <laughs> they fixed it, right? Like they buffed Legendaries that had utility effects in 8.1.5. Uh, they added a vendor in 8.3 where you could buy Legion Legendaries with um, uh, a specific currency. Um, and so, like, over time, they sort of, like, figured that system out. I sort of feel like the same thing happened with the Heart of Azeroth. But the Heart of Azeroth definitely sucked right out the gate. I had a, I had a tough time. <laughs> I had a tough time with it. Uh, um, Story-wise. Be- be- oh, before, sorry. Before we it. move on, I do want to say the other big thing I remember was fishing getting absolutely nothing at BFA launch, which, like, was a real setback for me particularly. Um, and so that that is why – that is probably the, the single most important reason why I bounced off of BFA and never came back because they did my boy fishing – wrong (laughs) they did do fishing a little dirty i think um yeah so and then story-wise obviously uh bfa i also think that like so for instance people talk about the story bfa being very bad and i do disagree with that in like an overall sense right um but like when it when when we laser focus in i actually think that the opening of battle for azeroth was pretty poor and that most of what people are talking about when they talk about the story of bfa being bad like kind of boils down to that problem. Nobody ever really has problems with, for instance, the questing content um, or like, you know, like the war campaign. Nobody, nobody seems to get mad about, right. Like the, the developments that were, that were happening like way later down the line, the, the, the nexus of it comes down to the burning of tell that tell Drassel and like the battle of Lord around the war of the thorns, like starting off the whole, the, the whole story, um, which it I think was pretty dismantled. Right? All things. Oh, sorry, what's up? It happens. The burning children still happens in the pre-patch, right? Like, yeah. So this is this is the thing that I think is kind of like the fundamental like missed thing about the pre-patch is that uh, night elf players care a lot about night elves and got very up in arms about like the pre-patch event but then like the expansion launching event is the battle of lordaeron which like nobody remembers nobody talks about that anymore right um but everyone talked like i could go on to reddit right now and find like 10 night elf mains who are complaining about right like the burning of teldrassil and how they hate that there's an armistice because the war is over or whatever because like the horde never got justice for doing right like doing this insane war crime um and in a certain sense i i like i kind of agree um but i think that like mostly the the it is getting into the war that became the the big sticking point. And once we were actually sort of like in the thick of it, uh, the story of WoW was pretty much fine and like good. Uh, like so, all so, of the you did you did all of like the Zandalar questing, right? Yeah, I, but it also wasn't really didn't have a lot to deal do with like the actual conflict. There was a lot of internal yeah. stuff. Um, and just to, to point out the, the flip side of like you know the horde being war criminals thing is that on the horde side at least i know i felt it's like oh look they made the horde war chief like you know a a war criminal again gee yep. can we can we ever get like a good one because it, it didn't feel like it was super long since since garage right so like you know, yeah it, it, like, yeah so like it was kind of frustrating on both sides on one end you have alliance players who are mad about this like thing that happened right in in the plot of the story and then on, on the other end you sort of have like the meta commentary of like okay well this sucks because I think of myself as like an honorable, good person, and here I am clearly doing a bad thing. And it's like there's like a dissonance sort of associated with that. Yeah, and 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 again, like on top of it, like you know, you did it twice in a row. Can, can you at least give us give us a good war chief? Um, although I guess yeah. I guess 
they 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 killed the the good. They killed Listen, them. Vulcan was around for like a second. Yeah, like no, one one single minute. One whole <laughs> second. One whole hour. Uh, hey, no king lasts forever, you know. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's some... true. That's true. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, so B- BFA launched. I actually think that the launch of it was received pretty pretty well. Like the very initial, like first couple of days, people seemed pretty hyped for it. But it pretty got it pretty much got sour once people hit end game, and I think kind of ran face first into those Azerite problems that we had talked about. Then patch eight point one comes out right a couple months later. It has the the second raid tier. Uh, so the first raid tier is Ulthir in Zandalar, kind of like capstone of the whole Zandalar story or whatever. The the second patch brings a new warfront, the Darkshore Warfront. It brings a new raid, the the Battle for Dazar lore, um, where you know, like the the raid is uh, the Alliance attacking uh, Dazar lore, the capital of the Zandalari Empire. It brought. Uh, you know, sort of the war invasion thing coming to the individual zones and having to, like, deal with, like, oh, in this zone at this moment, like, the Horde is attacking, that kind of thing. Uh, So, like, 8.1 sort of brought the war to the forefront of the expansion, right? It was kind of like, this is where, this is where, like, the the war really, really is sort of, like, touching down. From a gameplay perspective, uh, they also attempted what I would call a fix of the Azerite armor system by basically just adding another row um they added a fifth ring to items which had one of two azurite traits so every piece of azurite armor included two azurite traits i definitely think that this was better but it was still pretty bad uh in my in my humble opinion uh neither of you guys were playing at this point right because fail i you you didn't play in the middle of the, in the expansion right um, so I dropped out of playing for a little bit and I took a break from the game around the time that Battle for Desarlor actually came out. So mm-hmm. I did experience a little bit of the, the fifth ring of the Azerite traits, but not not heavily and, and not to the extent that I would be able to say one way or another. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I feel like it was kind of a stopgap measure for like the systems that they would later introduce in 8.2 and 8.3, obviously. Uh, but overall, I guess it was good because it sort of helped. I, when you have two when you have two rings that have sort of like the class ability, right? You actually get presented with some real interesting choices at that, at that point, because something that had become clear is that like in the early design of the heart of Azeroth, right? You were choosing between a static ability on the piece of armor itself and something specific to your spec. And almost always the thing that was specific to your spec was going to be better for you because the static ability is balanced around, you know, 36 specs or whatever. Um, so I actually think that that adding that fifth ring, which allowed you to choose between one of two Azerite traits, uh, just competing with one another, did make that choice a little bit more interesting, a little bit more compelling, and it gave you more power to sort of build uh, interesting uh, or kind of like alternate sort of like ways to build your character. But overall... Still, still pretty bad. This was my nadir in the expansion as well. I played very little during this time, um, even though I liked the Dark For- Darkshore Warfront and I played a lot of the Darkshore Warfront because I like getting transmog and stuff like that. Uh, really, what ended up kicking me off into the expansion proper was eight point two. Right, eight point two brings Nasjatar, brings Queen Ashara. Right, this big kind of headlining wow villain. Right, um, and also importantly brings the 
Azerite Essences system, which is sort of like the we're fixing, we're attempting to fix this problem with Azerite traits. No longer are you grinding uh, artifact levels to make your Azer to like unlock these Azerite traits that, that feel worthless and not important. You basically unlock all of those traits very quickly and you know, easily without without too much trouble. What does happen though is you get a special ability for your class and like different like minor passives um, out of a big library of abilities, right? So, for instance, if um, if you want, you can shoot a big beam out of your heart of Azeroth that does a bunch of AOE damage in a line. Uh, you can summon an AOE that shoots down from the sky and has a chance to just like instantly wipe out non-elite enemies. Um, you can have an Azerite essence that will activate your major cooldown for like 35% of its duration or whatever. This is what I would say, like this is where Battle for Azeroth truly got good, in my opinion, right? With the introduction of Azerite essences, all of a sudden the core functionality of creating builds was a lot less about uh, the Azerite traits that you were putting into your pieces of armor, but instead became kind of around the way that you were building out your, your different essences. Uh, with the Azerite Trace kind of being, like, supplemental to that experience. Um, do you agree? Does that make sense? I think what it ended up doing is it created a synergy that was devoid uh, at the start. And it allowed and, and opened up the, um, I guess, the relevance of other traits. Or, uh, yeah, of other Azerite Traits um, that weren't so relevant before or that didn't have nearly as much uh throughput as mm. they did without this essence or without this uh this yeah the, the essence um of course being a warrior uh memory of lucid dreams uh, being an arms warrior memory of lucid dreams uh made testamite literally go from being uh essentially matched with a few others to just going above and beyond them uh, so I think I think they added a, a, a def, definite synergy to a lot of the uh, different traits that were or that were missing something, I guess. Yeah, it also brought in heroic warfronts, uh, which I we we did a couple of heroic warfronts like in raid nights. Did you do a lot of heroic warfronts over the course of like eight point two, eight point three? Yeah, uh, I I remember joining in as many times as we could. Of course, most of the time it was to get gear, but. Um, no, yeah, definitely did quite a few of those. I feel like the Warfronts kind of also came into their own with the system. Um, you know, I, it, it's interesting because WoW expansions have always had sort of, like, cut content, and you can kind of, like, see the seams where, like, something kind of fell out. Like, so, for instance, in Cataclysm, kind of famously, they announced that there was going to be a water raid, um... And that never materialized. That was cut content. Warlords of Draenor had entire zones and raids cut whole cloth out of the expansion, right? Ferrolon, which was the, um, uh, the the precursor zone to Netherstorm, was in the alpha and playable in the alpha. But by the beta, they had cut it entirely from, uh, from the game. Also, there were plans for a raid in uh, Shatrath. Uh, that also got cut entirely out of the Warlords of Draenor expansion. I feel like when it comes to BFA, the cut content is islands, and the cut content is warfronts. Um, because you can see in the first two patches that warfronts were like a big headlining feature, and I would expect 
that there were pro- there was probably a third warfront. We saw files for a Baron's warfront that got prototyped, right? Um, we also saw that they added additional islands in 8.1, but then never touched islands again after that, right? Islands got updated for 8.1, and then for 8.2 and 8.3 were just kind of there, more or less, right? They, they were still a good way for you to, like, power up your artifact power and stuff like that. Um, but overall, the actual islands themselves didn't materially change um, over the course of over the course of the expansion. Um, but the heroic warfronts were kind of a like kind of an addition in and of themselves because they did change up the way that the warfronts were were playing at the time. Right in the heroic warfront, the enemy commander, who is like a major lore character, will come out of the gates right and he'll attack the enemy fortress, which sort of created this boss battle in the middle of the like in the middle of the uh, the instance, um, which like the whole group kind of had to respond to, uh, cause I actually lost a bunch of warfronts, especially when they first came out because people were not responding to like the enemy commander coming in, like beating up your commander sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I loved Warfronts as a feature, uh, though I think I am okay. They, they, they hit me in the same way that like garrisons do where it's like, that was an expansion only feature or like artifact. How, like are the, the the legion artifacts where i'm like i'm okay leaving this behind and moving on to the next thing kind of thing yeah warfronts I, I i seem to remember when they first introduced the expansion when they first announced it, it it seemed to be something that they were trying to draw people with kind of with the you know the real-time strategy war, uh, warcraft games and i don't know if at some point it just didn't go through like they wanted it to or um or or what happened but it did feel like they just kind of stopped very abruptly and said "Mm, we're done with these uh similar to islands i actually i i really like islands it's a great way to kind of just turn off your mind and just you know relax through a little bit of grinding but uh in that same respect it felt like islands were also one of the big draws to to the game at the start or at least that's what they felt like they were marketing it as um Mm. but it didn't they didn't follow through with it and so you could see you can feel that there is kind of a a missing piece or something that should have been there or would have been there but they didn't uh they didn't implement it yeah i have a feeling that islands sort of got uh, like whoever was on the islands team kind of got cannibalized by later systems like Nazjatar, Mechagon, uh, which got introduced in 8.2. Mechagon is another interesting example, right? Which is this sort of like living zone that has a ton of rares that are like constantly spawning and these like corrupt or, um, uh, construction projects that you can kind of like move around on. Those were interesting when it came to uh, like content for the expansion. And I feel like the, the WoW team... Uh, probably reassigned whoever was on the islands team to sort of like deal with that if that makes sense because like if you were to compare um i feel like if you were to compare nazjatar and mechagon to 7.2 which was the broken the broken shore patch right um you can kind of see the the same thing happen between 7.2 and 7.3 that happened between 8.1 and 8.2 um, where the team kind of realized that, like, something that they had planned to run for the entire expansion... Wow, man, look at that. A big old siren right outside my house. Welcome to Recording Live, everybody. Um, that, like, an expansion feature that they had expected to sort of go throughout the expansion sort of didn't really kick off with players in a way that was super satisfying, and they sort of, like, pivoted away from that. Um, when it came to uh, 
when it came to that for the for Legion, it was the artifact campaign ends in 7.2 rather than continuing into 7.3, right? Order halls don't really interact with 7.3 the way that they did with 7.2. Um, and I think the same thing is kind of true for islands, right? Where I feel like they kind of looked at islands and they're like, mm, let's like move these people onto something a little bit different. Uh, do you think there's something they could have done to have made to like given those features longevity in a way that would have kept them relevant, or do you think that they were just a lost cause on on launch? I think islands at the end were very good uh, in terms of rewards, right? Like at the end of the day, the thing that made islands compelling for me were the rewards that we got out of it on the back half, right? Um, they created a vendor that allowed you to buy these like chests and the chest. Okay, to to back up a second, islands include transmog mounts, battle pets from all over like Azeroth's history. It's kind of like they took all of like the armor that was in the game but they ha- and they had models for, right? But they didn't like have available to players, like recolors and stuff like that, and they just dropped them all in islands. And they were like, "Listen, if you do an island, maybe you'll get a I don't know, you'll get you'll get this this weird map. You'll get this um uh this sword that you've seen npcs use you'll get this recolor of like old tier gear or something that we just never had a we like never had a use for um the system for getting that i actually thought that was pretty pretty interesting in the original iteration you got rewarded based on the stuff you killed in the island and so people created these groups to specifically go around and hunt like rares that had drop chances for like mounts and stuff like that right but if you were just doing the island regularly your chance of getting that stuff was like super super low when they added the chests at the, um, I think 8.3, when they added the chests where you could spend the currency that you earn over the course of doing islands on these chests, which would have a chance to contain whatever, that sort of, uh, that like gave the impetus there for me to be like, oh yeah, I want to farm islands a lot because I want to generate a lot of this currency because I want to get all the islands mounts, right? I want to get all the islands transmog, that kind of thing. Okay, that makes sense. What, what about Warfronts then? Or, or if you wanted to talk, Phil, sorry, I didn't mean to step on you. No, um, my my opinion of Islands is not not so similar. I mean, it's similar, but it's not in the sense that I honestly do think that once they released them, the, the improvement with the boxes was great, but I don't think it was going to make it or increase the longevity of it overall. Mm. Um, but but it wasn't really good a really good way to make it more accessible I guess um, I felt like being able to just purchase those boxes and not have to uh, worry about well you still have to wor- you know you still have to worry about uh, RNG but of course it made it a little more uh, a, little, a little easier to get the things that you wanted to get yeah um, but no that that's basically what I have for that. Yeah, I feel like Warfronts, uh, to be honest with you, I think the the Strongguard Warfront is very good, and the Darkshore Warfront was kind of lacking. Um, I like both of them, and I would say that they were both, like, good, fun content. I've run both a gazillion times or whatever. But the core thing that was missing in the Darkshore Warfront that really bothered me was the, uh, like, the gathering of resources phase. Um, something that made Strongguard really fun fun and interesting is that like you there were multiple sorts of roles that you could play like not just like tank healer or whatever but like goals that you could try and accomplish over the course of like the warfront right so you could like be part of like the main push group that's trying to get 
you know, like the bases progressively down the min- the center lane, right, in order to unlock the the enemy, the enemy fort, right? Um, you could be in a, one of the side push groups, right, where you are going to one side or the other because there are nodes on the map that if you capture them, you can, like, recruit special soldiers or whatever that are, like, that are, like strong and powerful, right? Like, if you want to recruit shamans and wolf riders, you need to do the side, the side lane sort of thing. Um, if you want to just sit and upgrade your troops, uh, you can also do that, right? You can uh farm resources you can be a wood like a guy with a with an axe who's running around to the trees fighting you know individual mobs not like big packs of elites or whatever fighting individual mobs so that you can take down trees gather wood and go turn that wood in for upgrades and resources and stuff like that the same thing is true for sort of like mining right so and even there i just described five different roles right in the stromgard warfront that someone could sort of like adopt and interact with if they wanted to engage with the warfront in, in a different way when i was playing my rogue it was very common for me to be a uh like a like a resource gatherer right because with stealth with sap with all that stuff i had a lot of good abilities to sort of bypass mobs um and in order to get the resources that i wanted and then bring them back to like bring them back to the base the darkshore warfront more or less got rid of that functionality in a way that i thought was pretty unfun uh to be honest with you like the um the wood and the iron were more or less passive like you were just like slowly passively tick up wood and iron over the course of the over the course of the battle which to be fair kind of mirrors the way that the those races worked in warcraft 3 in like warcraft 3 elves don't cut down trees you deploy a wisp on a tree and it just passively generates wood every couple of seconds sort of thing and that's how it works in like the dark shore warfront um but it sort of reduced that like interesting sort of like role-based gameplay um to something more just like bulldoze down the middle lane and and win kind of thing yeah um stormguard i will say is probably in between the two of those two stormguard is my favorite uh simply because it felt like there was a lot more to do and it didn't feel i mean obviously the end goal was always the same uh but it felt like i could go in a different direction each time with stormguard whereas darkshore it was always going to the same direction and deviating wasn't really possible because there was nowhere to deviate to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with the collection of the materials uh, no longer needing to be done by the player, it, it did kind of eliminate yet another deviation that I said, that I thought made Stromgard so strong. Um, but I can see why they did it and I can, I can understand that as well. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, and then from a story perspective, in 8.2, like, the war campaign kind of, like, continues um, to its conclusion, which I think came out at actually 8.2.5, right? Which is where, uh, like, Sour Fang, so, in eight, in over the course of the Battle for Azeroth expansion, right, like, you're doing all this stuff in the war campaign, you, you like, res Derek Proudmore, who's, like, Jaina's brother as a Forsaken, and Sylvanas mind controls him because he's gonna be, like, a sleeper agent or whatever, and then Bane, Bloodhoof, the Tauren leader, says, no, that's kind of a dick move, and so he unbrainwashes Derek Proudmore and hands him over to Jaina so that, you know, Jaina can be, like, reunited with her family rather than uh, be 
killed or whatever. And for that, like Bane gets uh, like chained up in the bottom of Orgrimmar by Sylvanas or whatever. The, at this point, we more or less cement that like Sylvanas is a bad guy, right? Um, doing bad guy things, and the good guy in this scenario in the scenario is Sourfang, right? Uh, Sourfang works together with Lorthamar and with Jaina in order to break out. Bane uh, from the, his like his prison in Orgrimmar. Uh, he's sort of a refugee in Stormwind, um, and the and the, and the the other big thing that happens is in the Azshara raid. The player's presence in the Azshara raid unlocks like the ancient Titan prison that was keeping Nizoth, the the final old god on Azeroth, kind of like bound or whatever. How did you feel about like the story developments that took place over the course of eight point two point five? So story wise, um, that is with with eight point two point five, just eight point two in general. Um, that is when I came back, and the draw for me was definitely Najatar. Um, Lorthamar's involvement. I, I'm a I'm a Blood Elf player, so a lot of a lot of my uh, interest in the game when when I come back to the game is because uh, the, the the Blood Elf race or Lorthamar is involved. So that alone was enough to get me back in, but then keeping me uh, playing, of course, was the remainder of the lore, which I felt was pretty powerful, very impactful, and I've played on on both Horde and Alliance side, um, so seeing both sides was really cool too, uh, but no, I, I personally thought that 8.2 had a very, very impactful lore. Um, okay. Did you expect it to go to Nizoth? That was a big question in the community for a long time. People were thinking that 8.2 was set up for a future expansion where Nizoth was going to be like the kind of headlining bad guy. Um, people, and then other people sort of thought that like, no, like we're unlocking the prison of Nizoth. Obviously the final bot boss of BFA is going to be Nizoth. Like what, do you remember like what you were predicting at that time? Yeah. Um, I honestly, I, I was on the, on the side of people who, where basically like, yeah, it's happening, you know, this is gonna be where we get Nazoth. Yeah. And and it, it just made sense. Um I, I whilst I would say that uh Eternal Palace was was a, a really strong raid, I, I felt like there was in terms of the lore, it wasn't quite done yet and, and the expansion wasn't quite over yet. And there yeah. was a lot more that was left and and you know the whole work up from the very start was the the old gods and so, so uh okay so then we go into 8.3 8.3 nizoth comes up it's the you know nihilotha or whatever i can't remember what they call it. i think they call it visions of nizoth actually it's like the name of the patch or whatever um it introduces a bunch of new things right uh the two zones of veil of eternal blossoms and old doom are like periodically under attack by the forces of the black empire the new raid is nihilotha which terminates in Nazoth, who ends up being like the big final battle of the expansion. Rathion comes back. You do the whole legendary cloak quest line. Um, obviously the, um, uh, the horrific visions system, which I've talked about like endlessly on this podcast, uh, the horrific vision system comes out. You get, we get corruption. This is the meat of it, right? Like this is where you and I were playing the game, like at its most at its, at its height. Um, when, but like, but I feel like we kind of like activated a little bit like later into the patch that like most people. When Visions of Nazoth came out, how how much like were you playing WoW? Were you playing WoW like all the time, or or was it like less than that? 
So at that point, I was fully invested. Well, not fully invested. I was I was invested in the story and the lore. I was invested in the raids that we were doing. Okay. Um, but I wasn't quite there yet, right? I wasn't quite uh in the meat of it. Like I, I definitely did all my all my quests to get the cloak and everything, but I didn't even max it out. Um, from the very get go, or, or I didn't keep up with it until the very end. Hmm. Yeah, see, I feel like I, well, so I was in a little bit of a different spot because I liked doing visions enough that I was maxing out my cloak, but that, but like that was a side effect, right? Like I was just interested in doing visions for gear um, because I thought it was really cool that as a good player, I could earn mythic level gear doing solo content, basically, right? Like I was, there was a while where I was playing with, you know, I was playing with Rachel, I was playing with our raid leader, Sarian, you know, friend of the cast's. Uh, like Lou and Raylana, right? Um, and we were grouping together every week. But once we got our cloaks to level 15, that group more or less fell apart. But I did a five mask vision. And I realized that, that when you complete a five mask, five chest vision, you get a piece of 470 gear with guaranteed corruption on it, right? That was another big thing. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is a great thing for like me to do and me to farm. And I was basically farming that for the rest of the expansion. And it only just so happened that later when we got into the expan- like into, into 8.3 with the corruption vendor, um, with the essences vendor, that all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, that was like a... That was like a good choice of mine because I could like equip really powerful high end sorts of corruptions. But that was when, so the, so I think the first thing that happened is they, they brought in like the vendor, right. That allowed you to buy corruptions on sort of that rotating, um, on sort of that rotating, uh, schedule. Uh, that was probably the thing that really activated me where all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, it is possible for me to get best in slot gear and I can work towards a piece of gear rather than relying on RNG. Um, is it, was it the same sort of experience for you when, when they like introduced that vendor or was it just like us getting into mythic plus kind of thing? So with the introduction of the corruptions, um, the initial introduction of corruptions for me, it was like, Oh, cool! I got a corruption. This does what exactly? I think my my biggest draw was some of the corruptions, like um, uh, Twilight Devastation, is one of was one of the examples. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I didn't really get myself invested into or into knowing what each corrupt or what each corruption was good for and how how to use it. I just felt like if it had a piece of if I had a piece of corruption on it. Or if I had a piece with corruption on it, I'd just slap it on my character. And, I mean, the benefit is there regardless. Um, but once they introduced the vendor, uh, and, and once I gave myself the opportunity to know and to learn what was best, that's when I really started getting more more into it. And, and then when we started Mythics, 100% even more so. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me because we we activated into Mythic Pluses, right? And all of a sudden, I realized that, like, the power of corruption wasn't in, like, just random boosts of power. Like, oh, hey, there's a proc that maybe I'll get, like, 300 versatility. Okay, you know, whatever, that's fine, right? But then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, wait, I can stack multiple of the very best corruption for myself to, like, create these insanely optimized builds right and that was the moment that i was like oh fuck which to be honest was a little bit interesting because like i have always been the kind of person uh I, like i've always liked war forging i've always liked titan forging because um 
I hate the idea that I like go and do like a raid or something and there's nothing good for me, right? At least with Titan Forging, War Forging, and then later Corruptions, right? I could walk into a raid and even if it's like a, a shitty raid that I outgear, maybe it just includes like a, a super nice corruption, right? And just that idea that like there is this RNG factor where I I always could find an upgrade even in super, super outmoded or outdated kind of content, right? Uh, th- that that always sort of like felt good to me. But the thing that I didn't quite realize when the, when the corruption vendor had come down is how satisfying it is to work towards that sort of like final build, best in slot state over time, right? Um, and earning with, with with like the visions of Nihilotha or whatever they're called, the um, the the little echoing void. What are they called? They're called something. Um, those like earning that currency immediately gave me the dopamines because i was like oh yeah i'm on my way to my next fucking like expedient and i'm gonna get like 80 percent haste off the bat and it's gonna be gross and disgusting you know that that kind of a thing yeah definitely um that's that's where once i learned what it was that i wanted to pick up and what i could stack um for for me, being the warrior, uh, the example is uh, expedient, which increases your haste by a percentage of the haste you already have on. And so, trying to hit the point where my haste was yay high, um, and seeing what it would do with the rest of my with my gear and everything, that that's when it started to go. I started to think more in depth of the game and just kind of get more involved in it and trying to get more pieces and trying to get every single piece of gear to have this one corruption or whatever um that that's definitely where everything just picked up and and i got really invested in the game yeah and then we started doing mythic plus right uh how much mythic plus did you do in like legion did you do any like in early bfa I did very little Mythic Plus. I wasn't really into it. Um, with B- with Legion, um, I I kind of did a little, like here and there. I did a few keys, but it was never my main source of gear. Uh, I never really never really gave much look much look at it. Uh, I kind of regret that because I feel like I missed out on an entire uh, entire piece of the game that was just there and I never touched. Yeah, um, I feel that exact same way, to be honest. I kind of feel like an idiot because we only got it in, like, into <laughs> Mythic Plus like two months before like we were expecting pre-patch to come out. Like obviously pre-patch got delayed or whatever. So it ended up being like maybe like three months or whatever. But it just sort of felt like we were right up against the finish line like the whole time. Um, and eventually I got the season-wide achievement, which was like getting a plus 15 key and everything. Um, but like getting together with like the team, so to speak... Uh, and running the keys and like learning the dungeons was just like I think that was the thing that 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 felt the best about it, right? Like I kind of fantasize about that in raid sometimes. When people talk about raid, they talk about like oh how it used to be was you just kind of walk up to a boss and then you wipe on it and then you like learn what killed you and you slowly sort of like wipe your way to victory. Uh, but nowadays it's just watch a video, right? And the, and the yeah. video is there to like teach you the choreography essentially of the boss fight. Um, and you need to execute on that, on that choreography. Um, and so a lot of like raid bosses are like, you know, we, we give them a couple of shots. We give them a couple of tries. Um, 
but like they're 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 not insanely like hard to get down when it comes to the dungeons though dungeons were the place where we were strategizing a lot on the fly right because for one thing we were strategizing a lot on trash pulls which is not something that everybody thinks about or even like like nobody makes a video on like how to interrupt what is the best thing to interrupt on these trash pulls what are the hard pulls in the in the like the dungeon or whatever what are the things with the abilities that you need to like stun out but those were the sorts of decisions that we were like coming to make over time right like we did under rot and we were like oh these guys will wipe us if we let them get off rotten bile so we need to cycle our stuns to interrupt that cast or whatever the case may be right um and that just became like insanely engaging and all of a sudden i was like yes i want to do mythic plus all the time and we more or less were doing mythic plus all the time uh (laughs) Yeah, so uh, to, to to your point with with a raid, you you're only ever, the reason, of course, my my reason or my reasoning for it is um, with the raid. The reason that you see videos for a boss is because it's kind of kind of the big draw to the raid, right, or whatever. That's kind of where you're getting all your gear, and um, there's no time limit in in a, in a raid. You're not you're the only time limit you have is the one that you set for yourself and your group. Yeah. Um, and of course it's just the, the eight or nine bosses and that's it. Right. But with, a with a mythic, you have every pack of, of mobs, whereas you wouldn't normally pay attention to them, pay attention to them in a regular dungeon or even a heroic dungeon because they're kind of just there. Um, suddenly with mythics, mythic plus you're having to deal with mechanics that would normally wipe you, uh, on a much harder scale. And so now you have to think about how and where you want to put all these, you know, these stuns. And there's more of that than there is the, the bosses. Cause with a boss and a mythic, the boss is there. It's always going to be there. And there's the choreography of the boss. The bosses sometimes almost felt easier than, than the actual trash pools did. Um, and, and that's kind of, I felt like that was kind of the point of the mythic pluses. And that's kind of what, what drew me towards them a lot more and had me playing them a lot more was because, Every 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 pull was its own boss pull almost. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that, and I think that's very true. Especially because, like, in a mythic, you have strengths and weaknesses based on your class. Like, so for instance, we had two warriors in the group, which meant like two rallying cries, which I think was really powerful for a lot of our runs in keeping us out of death territory. Right? Like, we would have died. <laughs> in in places where we didn't because we had two rallying cries that could go off to bolster people's max health and like hit, absorb these like big big hits of damage but we didn't have a battle res right which was pretty dangerous all things considered because without a battle res it means like if somebody dies you know you're going to be losing time uh coming like coming back to that point um or you know you might do that thing where you're in the middle of the boss fight and one dps dies but like the rest are still up but now that one dps is not like putting out the damage that need that you need to get the boss down and you lose like a minute and a half or something because like you finished out the boss fight with four people rather than like wiping and resetting or getting that dps back up and into the fight um so i think that that like that those kinds of considerations are really like sort of interesting right like where do we have strengths where do we have weaknesses make them to shoba also friend of the cast uh, is really great at this. Like he plays a hunter and he was so good at finding spots to use his hunter abilities to help us out. Right. Like whether that's freezing trap 
to like lock down enemies that are that are problematic tar trap to allow me as the tank to kite enemies more effectively uh, effectively right like i think all of that stuff was was super fun and super interesting when it comes to mythics um whereas like in a raid group there's kind of this understanding that like everything everything is there and everything is covered right we have enough melee dps that we can keep it uh, keep up an interrupt rotation right stuff like stormbolt which was so huge right like mythic plus changed so dramatically when i picked up stormbolt and it would allow me to interrupt cast by um stunning trash mobs right um compared to something like a raid where that stuff doesn't really like fire or function yeah, so with a raid, of course, there also comes the factor of getting the 20 or so people to to get together on the one day. But with mm-hmm. Mythics, um, one of the things that I really liked about them is that you could do uh, Mythic Plus or Mythic uh, level gear. You could get Mythic level gear, but you didn't need to have a whole 20 people. You could literally take in, you know, five of your, four of your, of your friends or whatever and go in there. As long as you have the composition, you know the tank healer DPS. You're basically you're basically set, and then, you know you improve with that group, and you you kind of get to know how each of you each each other plays, um, and, and it it causes kind of like a um, what's the word I'm looking for a synergy between everyone, and mm-hmm. I thought that was one of the cool cool factors of it, is that all, all five of us would get together uh, within one or two nights or whatever, and we'd go out of 15 or whatever, and it reminds me week. a lot of like when we would like play League of Legends or whatever, right? You know, you just right. kind of hop in Discord and see who's there, and you like put together a group. That's the thing that feels good uh, about about like doing mythics uh, is like the ability to just kind of like, oh, we have five people, let's like let's go, let's queue up, sort of thing. That yeah, um, that, when it comes to mythic plus dungeons, you, did you have like a favorite dungeon? Like, do you have best worst kind of thing? Oh, so okay. So for worst, I can say, and and I actually, honestly, thinking about it, I really a lot of people don't like Shrine of the Storm. Um, oh yeah, that's my worst. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it also has a lot to do with with the affixes that were happening that that week or whatever. Um, but Shrine of the Storm, for, to to its to its respect, uh, once you learn the fights and everything, it wasn't really all that bad. I think it was just kind of the length of it, but it kind of gets the same the same rep as the um, is it the Oculus. I can't remember the, oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah, Oculus from Rat. Yeah, that that had a really <laughs> bad reputation. Yeah, yeah it's so, like the thing I didn't like about Shrine of the Storm is uh, I didn't like so. Some of the po- it, it felt like in order to do Shrine of the Storm, um, kind of competitively, at least from my my perspective as a tank, is you had to do what are, what are called snaps a lot, which is where you pull a group with like a ranged attack, and then you do a thing that puts your character on a different plane uh, from like the, the mobs, and it will snap all of the mobs to you. So like, okay, let's say there's a table, right? If I if I hit a mob. And then I jump on top of the table. It snaps all of those mobs to sit on that table because rather than evade bugging out, it puts the mobs on the same plane as the thing that kind of like aggroed it. Uh, and I felt like I had to do snaps in Shrine of the Storm, but I didn't have to do snaps anywhere else in any other in any other dungeon in the game. Is Shrine of the Storm uh, the one with the seagulls? No. So Shrine of the Storm, so that was uh, Eye of Ishara, which is maybe my least favorite dungeon in all of Legion. <laughs> yeah, that, oh, wait, that, that was one sucked. 
Yeah, the seagulls made me want to fucking shoot myself. Uh, Shrine of the Storm. So that was probably why I think Shrine of the Storm is, was my least favorite. Uh, I feel like my favorite, I want to say my favorite is King's Rest, because like I just always thought that King's Rest itself was kind of the most compelling from sort of like a lore perspective. Um, there's like a lot of cool deep cuts in there about like Zandalari history and like going and fighting the Zandalari chieftains that are buried there or the mummified first king, like King Dazar. Um, I thought that stuff was all great, but I think the real answer might be Mechagon Workshop, which is the back half of Mechagon, solely for the reason that I can spell reflect the pulse blasts that come out of the final boss, and that feels so satisfying as a warrior. Like, I was getting an extra, like, 2.5 million DPS on the boss, just because I was reflecting his things that were doing, like, 700k damage, <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually really like the majority of Mechagon, um... I, I think that Workshop is definitely the stronger of the two. Um, but when it comes to my favorite dungeon for for BFA, I, I want to give it to Waycrest. And, wow. and the reason, the, so, okay. <laughs> so the reason I, I uh, really like Waycrest, um, on a lore perspective, I really, really, really liked Drustvar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Drustvar was the best zone in the expansion. Absolutely, by I, I, my, like best expansion hand or best expansion, uh, best zone for the expansion hands down. Um, and just going through that lore and finishing that story and then getting to finally complete it with a dungeon felt right. Um, mechanically, I think it has a pretty decent uh, setup for bosses. Uh, some pretty pretty strong uh, contenders, I guess, if you will. Um, uh, namely the three sisters, uh, <laughs> and and that that for a fact that fight gave us some trouble here and there. Um, I also like the trash there were a lot of interesting trash mobs in that. Ex- oh yeah, in that, in that dungeon that were really fun. Which is another thing that I like about uh, the King's Rest, for instance. Like I like the part where you're killing all of the mummified guys, and like one guy is mummified with his raptor, and the other guy is like mummified with his like wife, who's a spellcaster, like that kind of thing. Um, I feel like the trash pulls were actually like one of the things that were like making some of those uh, some of those dungeons cooler. Yeah, I do uh, agree that that King's Rest was really strong. Um, it is probably on the t- top tier for me in terms of the list of. I actually think uh, both dungeons. King's Rest and Siege of Boralus were strong. I just didn't do Siege of Boralus enough times. I feel like um, same. I did a lot of King's Rest. I did a lot of Atal Dazar. Um, uh, but I felt like Siege was one we kind of, like, got to at the very end and, like, only did, like, two or three times, it sort of felt like. Yeah, I I will say that in terms of times that I ran a dungeon, Siege was the least of of them, and I think a lot of it it lended itself to it being a line side, and I mean, mean, we mean Horde, so, you know, doing it wasn't really, it it required, I don't remember what it required to unlock, because I don't remember... You had to go through the entire war campaign in order to get to it. And I think yeah. in 8.2, they unlocked it, made it easy. But, like, in the early days of the expansion, I, like, I didn't do, I had a quest to do Siege of Dezo- Boralis, and I didn't complete it until, like, 8.3. Because uh, I just, like, never stepped in that dungeon. Right. And then with, with like, Atal Dazar, it was just kind of there um, next to our zone. So it yeah. really wasn't hard to get to. And on top of that, it was probably one of the easiest of the of the dungeons. Uh, at least a, a majority of the weeks, it was probably the easiest because it kind of... You got a reputation had... as being one of the easiest. That and Freehold. Uh, and then they reduced the timers and made it tougher to time, <laughs> which I think kind of made it nor- like about normal. Like I, at, at the yeah. end of the expansion, I would say that all of the dungeons are about as hard as one another. Uh, oh, absolutely. Even if like, 
shrine made me maddest kind of thing. What about uh, <laughs> so when it comes to like raids? Like, do you have a best raid, worst raid? Uh, so you, or, uh, there's only four raids, so maybe you can like we can like rank them. Yeah. So, like, I've always been a fan of Titan, uh, Titan lore and oh. old god lore. And old deer kind of scratched that itch, but I wouldn't call it in, in terms of mechanics. I wouldn't say that I I like that one the most. Um, I, I, in terms of which one I liked the most, I'd say Palace was pretty strong. Um, Interesting. Okay, but that that's just my my opinion of it. What, what would you say is the worst one? Oh, it's hard because I didn't do battle for Desire Lore and and. I don't think that one's worst either. I think that one was actually pretty fun. Going yes, through yeah, it now. I, say, I think, are you ready? This is my hot take. Battle for Desire Lore is the best raid that WoW has ever put out. <laughs> that is, the, I will, I will, I'll stake that territory. Simply because, um, from a story perspective, I think it's just like, so insanely complex that it's cool. Like, one of the things about the Battle for Desire Lore that was really sweet is um, when they expanded, so the, the, the war campaign comes out, right, with 8.0. 8.1, they add a bunch of new quests to the war campaign. Those quests are set up for the battle for Desire Lore. It is your character, right, like, running through the preamble to the battle. So on Horde's side, it's like you're tracking down this, like, alliance character who you actually know. He's Blademaster Telamon, who you fought with in Legion, like, against the Burning Legion. But, like, when the, the war came out, he's a Lightforge Draenei. Well, now you're Horde and he's Draenei. And, um... And you tra- and you chase him down because you get all of this indication that like the the Kul'tiran fleet is going to attack from the north. It's going to attack from Nazmir, and so like you're chasing him down and you're trying to like figure out this stuff about like the Kul'tiran fleet. And then, bah! Oh no! Actually, fucking, it's they're attacking from the south. You got bamboozled or whatever. And over the course of that questline, they actually set up all of the different like. All, all of like the bosses and stuff uh like so for instance you meet this gorilla grong or whatever um and you went you interact with him you interact with a couple of like the the different the different bosses um and then on alliance side you are orchestrating that kind of like misdirect right where you are uh you actually get to have you you have a, a meeting where you like talk with blade master telemon and you're like hey listen bud you're gonna be the fucking bait and that probably means you're going to die. And he's like, you know what? If it'll get those fucking horde bastards, I'm down. And it's like really, really like emotional, right? Um, and then you then you encounter Grong, this like gorilla or whatever, and you like power him up and make him a big a big baller. And he ends up, and Grong is like one of the bosses in the raid. Um, and then the raid itself, which does sort of like the alliance horde switching, right? Like the first three bosses, each faction kind of fights individually um, in different locations on the map. If you're alliance, you're fighting Zandalari paladins. If you are horde, you're fighting dark iron paladins. Um, and then the the second and third sort of like phases you go to one faction or another. So the middle phase, you take on the role of the Alliance as they go and they kill King Rastakhan, which is like maybe the most lore impactful death in a raid that I can think of outside of a final boss kill, right? Like outside of killing the Lich King, right? Um, Or killing, you know, Nazoth sort of thing, right? Like killing Rastakhan is maybe the most important character it's felt like I've ever killed in 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 a raid. Um, and then, and then at the end of the dungeon, you, uh, you're chasing the Alliance out of the city. 
right? Uh, after they have killed Rastakhan and they're like trying to like loot and sack the city, you drive them out. You you like maim. You basically put Mechatork into a coma, the known faction leader into a coma. Um, you fight some like you know Kultir and Tide Mages, and then you fight Jaina herself, uh, which is maybe the coolest fight from a lore perspective I can think of in World of Warcraft because solely because of all of the stuff that like, there's just like, it's so meaningful because like, this is a character with such long history. Right. And like, I don't know, just like the stuff that she's saying and doing, like she has the coolest death line where she quotes the song, the daughter of the sea, which canonically was written by the cool about how Jaina is like a traitorous, you know, like she betrayed her father and and sunk the Kultiran fleet by allying with the Horde or whatever, right? And um, and the lyrics of that song go, "Beware, beware, the daughter of the sea. She's the daughter of the sea." Her line when she wipes the raid is that she says, "Beware, beware of me," and it like sends chills down my spine every time because it's like it's so full of like meaning, right? So that's my case. Battle for Dazarlar is the best WoW raid in WoW history. <laughs> You know, I I had stated my opinion and over the course of your explanation and just kind of remembering everything, I will say that even though I didn't get to do Battle for Desarlor as heavily, um, though I, I can't say that now because I've I've grinded it out now that it's kind of irrelevant content in terms of like level or item level wise, but but it is definitely I could say uh, the strongest of the four. Um and for for the reasons that you kind of mentioned, like I went through uh, both sides of the story and I got to see everything culminate. Um, and it's really cool seeing WoW do that uh, on a regular basis where they will let you quest and you'll see one of the bosses and you'll interact with one of the bosses in the raid. And then later on in the raid, you get to kill them finally after you've gotten in the interaction and, and you know, weren't able to get them the first time around. So now, you, you know, you're face to face with them. And here we are. Um, and- I, so this is something that they picked up over the course of BFA because it happened in Uldir, right? Obviously, you're interacting with Zul all the time. Mm-hmm. Talak, you're fighting at the end of the Nazmir campaign. Mithrax is in there and um, is the... Um, uh, Mithrax is like the big Zandalar forever max level storyline guy or whatever. Um, it happens again in Battle for Dazarlor with the war campaign. In the Ashara campaign, when you're when you're questing in Nazjatar, you meet a bunch of the individual bosses, right? Like the Blackwater Behemoth comes out and and fights you for a little bit in a thing. Uh, you meet her like the the first boss in EP. I think her name is Shavara or whatever. Uh, she comes out in some of like the questing in Nihilotha. They do the same thing. Like so, for instance, Vexiona. This is actually one of the coolest things. Vexiona is set up in eight point two actually as part of mm-hmm. the dragon flights thing. When you're getting the power from the the five dragon flights, uh, Vexiona shows up to like stop you from getting it from the red dragon flight, and then she shows up as a raided a raid bot in Nihilotha. Um, uh, Dark Inquisitor Zanesh and Shadar both show up in the scenario in Blackrock Depths to pick up the legendary cloak. Um, obviously, like Raden and like the questing through that stuff is he's like set up for for all that. Um, so I, I feel like that is something that the WoW team has specifically gotten better at in BFA. This is not something that has typically happened in other expansions as much, but has definitely like 
picked up in BFA, a little bit in Legion, uh, in BFA uh, and in recent times, I think just like makes the game, it like makes the game more cohesive, right? And like pulls it all together rather than like walking into a raid room and seeing like, oh, here's big bad raid boy. You've never seen or interacted with him before, but you're going to kill him or whatever. There's like some kind of like tension and suspense there in a certain sense. Yeah. um, They definitely did a really good job with this time around. And I think that's an aspect and an element that, that it just kind of gets overlooked uh, quite often and why people probably don't really consider BFA to be that strong of an expansion. Um, but that that's the thing is that it's it's overlooked and so therefore you don't think about all that stuff because you've never had to think about that before, right? You've never had to experience a quest mob turning into a raid boss or not a quest mob, but just a quest uh, NPC suddenly turns into a raid boss. Um it's not something that that happened before so you you don't really pay attention to now but if you look at it uh from that perspective or you look at it from a perspective of uh something new and different i think that's what gives bfa its strength or one of the things that gives it its strength okay so final verdict time we're coming up on we're coming up on time we're a little bit over i I got i gotta ask a question uh, okay sure, sure sure so so it sounds like um you know, the, the story moves from the the core stuff to, like, this Nazoth stuff. Is the res- resolution of, like, the actual Horde Alliance conflict to that raid that you guys were talking about? So the resolution happens in 8.2.5, right? So after, like, Ashara has been defeated, and you're following that Bane plotline we were talking about earlier. And I actually like this quite a lot. Um, is It culminates in a cutscene that is, like, high fidelity, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, like the, the beginning of expansion cutscenes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those. And it is the mock Gora between Sour Fang and Sylvanas where Sour Fang tricks Sylvanas into admitting. It's kind of like the thing where like you record the bad guy and broadcast it to everyone where he like lies. And he's like, oh, I, I hate, you know, I hate New York city, but he's running for mayor. And then everybody on in New York city watches the TV broadcast. It's that sort of thing, right? Sour Fang gets Sylvanas to admit that she doesn't care about the horde, um, by like kind of goading her and taunting her. Uh, and she, and so it's like a mask off moment, right? And then Sylvanas realizes that like, Oh, uh, that was bad. That was a mistake. So she breaks the rules of the mock garage. She just like nukes Sour Fang with like death magic and yeets herself out of there. Right. That is the, the, the culmination of the war campaign ends in that cinematic and like a bunch of you know like intervening quest questing stuff. Okay. Yep. That does do you it. do you think that I, I like that? Th- I think this is kind of interesting. I like that as a story choice because it sets up sh- Shadowlands. Something that has bothered me in the past about WoW expansions is like WoW expansions kind of come out of nowhere. Like if you think about the interaction between Wrath of the Lich King and Burning Crusade, Wrath of the Lich King to Cataclysm, uh Cataclysm to mists, and even kind of mists to warlords. Though that's sort of where they get better about it. Uh, like the the expansions don't lead into one another supernaturally in like the olden days. And over time, they have been getting like more and more advanced about sort of like setting up ne- the next expansion in this one, right? So, for instance, in uh, you know, like in the Warlords of Draenor expansion, they set up the Legion as the big threat in eight point two, and then the next expansion is is legion sort of thing it's sort of it feels like an a plot a plot b plot thing right like the a plot for battle battle for azeroth is you know uh kind of culminates with this like nazoth stuff right and then the b plot ends but like leaves the cliffhanger that we're going to then follow into shadowlands 
Does that make sense? I think it, it, I think what they've done is they made it a little more prevalent or uh, uh, apparent, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with the others, it's kind of been a hidden thing where you kind of have to look for what the reasoning for it was. So like with Cataclysm to Mist, you know, the Cataclysm made it so that uh, suddenly the Pandaria was, was now out of the fog or whatever and it's now visible. Um so it's kind of one of those things we get to look for it, get to reach for it. But I think from BFA to Shadowlands, they didn't necess- they didn't even hide it. They kind of just threw it in your face and were like, "There it is. Yeah. This is what's happening." And I, I, I like that. that. Like the, the you know, I, I use a plot, b plot, but in a certain sense, the a plot of Battle for Azeroth is like the war, right? Mm-hmm. The first two, it is most heavy in the first two patches, right? The, for the first two patches are like all about the war. It feels like, um, but. Uh, but then it sort of transitions into Ashara, and Ashara is working for Nizoth, and so you unlock Nizoth's prison or whatever, because like Ashara's like fucking with you or whatever. Um, and uh, and then that's sort of like what ends up like being the the through line. Like I think I think BFA is just as much an old god expansion. Like it's very obvious. Anybody who quests through Stormsong Valley understands. Uh, that like old god stuff was going on all of the Gahoon and uldir stuff right there is a there's a literal boss in uldir called the herald of nizoth um so it's, i don't think it comes out of left field that like nizoth is quote unquote the final boss of the expansion um but yeah in a certain sense i feel like like sylvanas is sort of like a headlining player um and that the culmination of the war campaign kind of in parallel with the culmination of sort of like the old god nizoth stuff like the heart of azeroth stuff um is like the the i don't know like narrative backbone of the expansion yeah. so if i had to guess from the outside it seems like they're getting their their kind of cycles shorter right like mm-hmm. my, yeah, my, sure. my my guess is the reason that you have these big gaps before storylines get picked up it's like okay we, we we've tied up this part of the storyline and we're gonna let it sit because the other storyline's been baking in the oven and i think where it seems like that happened like like you know that a pop plots which happened within the expansion i think previously it happened across expansions right like mm-hmm. that like you get the a plot and then the next expansion would be the b plot and then the next expansion would kind of pick up somewhere where the a plot left off that's not quite exactly right but you you get what i'm yeah, saying and like here. and you see small moments like in wrath of the lich king you see moments where garrosh hellscream is like a huge piece of shit right um and then you know obviously that like continues into cataclysm and into sort of mr pandaria um but uh, I do think that part of it is just sort of that, like, they've made it more, like, kind of pronounced and readable, like, over time. Like, there's a lot about Shadowlands, obviously, that, like, wasn't set up in, like, Battle for Azeroth in the sense that, like, you know, like, we didn't really, like, interact with the Lich King or anything. And there's and there's all of this stuff with Covenants and, like, the afterlife or whatever. But, like, there's just, like, way more stuff setting up Shadowlands in this expansion than there have been in more or less every expansion that I can possibly think of. Maybe the only maybe the only other example would be uh like the Warlords into Legion, which I actually disliked that because I felt I got very fatigued with like the Legion aesthetic over the course of the Legion expansion. And I think Antorus kind of like on a narrative level is not is not a great raid, but Yeah, yeah. I mean from that aesthetic perspective, I have to imagine that part of it too is that what is like the end of Warlords also had a lot of that aesthetic it's um yeah, like uh, orcs. Yeah, well, it's it's the fell orc part of stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, is the end of 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 warlords. Um, and then I I also think that like the the fell stuff just is like too easy to be real samey in Legion. 
Um, I think yeah. they did a good job uh, with with some of the other parts, but like it felt like the end game was always in quirky or in, in the green stuff. I guess is the way to put it. The film. Yeah, this is a this is a little bit. Uh... I feel like something that has taken over WoW as it has gone along, specifically in Legion and in BFA. Actually, let me back up a second. There's an old quote from a Doctor Who writer that sa- where he says, you know you've written a good Doctor Who episode when you kind of go, well, that's, you know, like, that's that feature film idea out the window. And you're blowing that in, like, 40 minutes of Doctor Who sort of thing, right? Like, Doctor Who episodes are, like, very big. I feel like WoW has also gotten to that point, right? Like, Something that people have said about Nazoth is that, like, it's actually a little anticlimactic killing Nazoth because, like, he's supposed to headline his own expansion, right? That's like Black Empire stuff or whatever, right? Not be the final patch of an expansion. Um, but I actually sort of disagree with that line of thinking because I think that's what leads to sort of the oversaturation. And that I would rather have an expansion that looks sort of like, like, Wrath of Lich King kind of did this, where, like, it was different threats. You know, like, first it was next Ramus. Then it was Old War, which is Old God stuff. Then it was, like, the Argent Tournament. And then it was Ice Crown Citadel, right? So it wasn't just, like, Undead, 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 Undead. You were, like, kind of, you know... You also had, like, the Nexus War with the Blue Dragonflight. Like, the other little enemies sort of, like, seated in between. And in a certain sense, I feel like their way of getting around that fatigue is by blowing these sort of big expansion ideas in patches, right? Like, Argus have been an entire expansion but instead it was the capstone of the legion expansion right um same thing with i think the black empire i agree with people that the black empire could have been its own expansion but i think it will probably overstay its welcome in a way if it was and i would rather it kind of like go out huge in the way that it does here but then we move on uh then sort of i don't know like lose get 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 lost in it in a way that makes perfect sense to me now you think that that's about all the time you can afford to put on this topic, unless either of you have a final word. Yeah. So, what are your what are your final thoughts? Like, if you were, to, if somebody asks, "Hey, Falinor, I didn't play Battle for Azeroth. What do you think of the, the expansion? What, what are your What are your final thoughts?" I think with Battle for Azeroth, um, I would say that while it didn't start off as strong as I would have liked it to, that over the course of the different patches that they released, um, it actually picked up really, uh, really well. And um, I wouldn't say that. Of course, it's not it's not my favorite expansion, but I wouldn't mark it as 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 bottom tier either. Um, simply because during this expansion, you know, aside from story and aside from mechanics and aside from all the things that were related to in game, I also spent a lot of time with people uh, that were just as interested and just as into the story and the mechanics and the lore um, as I had. With, uh, with whereas other expansions I didn't get that much time, um, so putting everything together and, and and looking at it from the perspective of it's finally over, I will miss it. Um, there's definitely certain features that that I will miss. Um, corruptions being one of those things we didn't necessarily get to, but corruption or uh, this heavily, but um, corruptions is one of the things that while, while I will miss, I also think that it, it is time to let them go and time to start start anew and build up to what we need to build up to the next time around but um no yeah i think that the real battle for azeroth was the friends we made along the way uh i very much agree <laughs> with that sentiment. i think battle for azeroth launched and was honestly not great i would say pretty bad 
<laughs> but then with 8.2 and 8.3, it got much better, uh, such to the point that it is actually one of my favorite expansions. I don't think Breath of the Lich King is, hypothetically speaking, my favorite expansion, but it, but BFA is probably second on that list. Uh, just in terms of how much I engaged with the game, how 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 much I think the game was sort of like good, um, and what it like offered me at the time. So I'm very happy with the the Battle for Azeroth expansion. I'm gonna miss it. I'm gonna miss it for sure. Uh, I'm gonna play on those 8.3 classic servers when they come out in 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. To, I'm ready to have my corruptions back. Uh, classic know, 8.3. I oh my god! I will. I will die hard for for that if they do like a classic when we're fucking forty. Uh, okay, we get in the back half because I really want to talk to you about this this other thing that is not WoW related. So, okay, for people who don't know, the the WoW pre patch has been coming, which kind of means that like playing WoW is sort of a waste of time way all this stuff is going to get reset all the new systems you're looking forward to are not out yet or whatever and so this always happens where like the last month the last couple of weeks as you're going into pre-patch it's just like very hard to like muster the will to play the game right so a lot of people have been falling off to play other things Felinor, i know that you have been playing another game that is also very topical uh and and something interesting to talk about for this fucking podcast you've been playing a lot of genshin impact Tell me about this game. I don't understand it. I see people playing it all the time on like Twitch or whatever, but I have never tried it myself and I don't understand. How much money have understand. you spent on waifus? This is the real question. <laughs> so the real reason why I'm here has shown itself. No. Um, so, yeah, I, I, admittedly, nearing the end of the, of the expansion, I got really, really kind of... Un, un, unmotivated to do anything um and i remember being in discord with you buddy and, and just kind of saying i don't care to do any of this anymore yeah. i know i didn't we get the achievement yet. Like, we're achievements we're trying to do whatever and then <laughs> was like, guys i don't really want to do this and then all of us were like oh thank god <laughs> like, <laughs> uh so getting into genshin impact was another thing uh so genshin impact uh for those that don't know it's a RPG that has some elements of cooperative play and one of the the drawing factors to a lot of people is the gacha aspect of it um which is where you pull uh from from a, a list of characters and weapons and whatnot and those become part of your roster or whatever um and so okay, initially pokemon but with white food. No, so it's not so you don't you don't get to you don't collect people because you go through the story um which by the way Genshin Impact has a really really good story. Um very much an anime story. Um as an anime fan I, I appreciate that. But also just the writing in general is really well done. Uh which I was surprised to to find in a game that I thought it was simply going to be a gacha game, right? One of those games uh, gacha, wow, gacha. Um and the more I play it, the more the more I'm invested into it. Um, but it's you meet all these characters in the story, and um, you you get to trial them every once in a while to, through the story. But the system, what's called the wish system, allows you to roll or, or pull these characters uh, from a, the list of characters that they have available, and they become part of your party. Um, so. That's that's where the gotcha aspect of it comes in, but otherwise it's not pre- a prevalent thing, and it also doesn't like prompt you to spend your money at all. You can play free to play and 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 play the game successfully and without having any issues. But of course, you you it's more like a pay for convenience type of thing than it is anything else. Um, 
because that's what you get when you when you pay money is you essentially improve your chances of of getting a character that you want to play because they give they even give you a lot of the currency that that you use to to pull these characters for free uh, at the very get go so you have a chance to get uh, a five as they call it, a five star character um, which are the power more powerful characters um, but otherwise you don't need to pay anything. Um, so the draw of it comes from, I think it also, another thing that draws is drawn, the people are drawn to is the Breath of the Wild aspect of it. it. It very much has all those elements of the stamina that you use to run and to climb a wall. Um, the, the gliding is the biggest, uh, the biggest thing. And I, I play Breath of the Wild quite heavily as well. Uh, so a lot of people say that it's a, it's a Breath of the Wild ripoff. But it really isn't. Uh, when it comes down to it, is the gameplay is, is, is while it's similar, it's not 100 percent the same, and and it, they take different elements, different things, and they put it together. Um, so the draw, I would say, there's quite a bit of draw to it. And having played it as much as I have now, um, I definitely would recommend it if you ever wanted to give it a shot. But it, I know that not, it's not for everyone, and no game is ever for everyone. Okay, fair enough. Though I, I have you never, avoided like, answering the question, how much have you spent on <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I definitely did that on purpose. So I've I've spent at least uh, I would say 150. Oh, uh, actually, wow. that's actually yeah. Um, and it wasn't necessarily even that I was doing it to pull something specific. Um, initially, I wasn't going to spend anything um, because I don't like to just throw money around like that. But the more I played the game, the more I felt like the developers of this game actually put a lot of work and a lot of, a lot of um, just, they put a lot of work into this game. And so my justification for uh, putting money down is that I'm helping this company and they've made over within two weeks, they've made over a hundred million dollars in revenue. So that, that, that alone should say something about the game, but yeah, I've put, that's about how much I've put onto the game. Okay. Was it worth your uh, money? Abs- absolutely. Um, I, I got, as I say, I got my waifu. My waifu came home. That's the phrase. <laughs> um, and uh, no, I haven't. I haven't put the game down, and I don't think that even with the the pre patch out, uh, I think I'm still going to be playing. Uh, I'm going to try and juggle both games as best as I can. Um, but no, definitely for me, it was definitely money well spent. Okay, Excellent. fair enough. <sighs> uh, I uh, what else has been going on? Mango, you have not talked about all this podcast. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> what what have you been up to? It happens. Uh, what did I do this week? So I I kind of went through uh, a, a frenzy of trying to find something that I, I felt like I really wanted to play. wasn't super successful. Um, I played some more Hades, which is always fun. I did jump back into uh into Gone Viral. Which was uh, it was it was a good time. I feel like they made the game harder. Also, they put a shiny like you know it's more silver than it was. It used to be gray, so that was that's fun. Um, and so there's definitely stuff to explore there. Have you unlocked Abacus? Do you, like have you played Abacus? Oh wait, you you got wiped because it's early access now. Yeah, yeah. I so I haven't yeah. re-earned Abacus yet. I got through mostly sane, um, but I, it feels kind of cheap because I got like blastproof and the rocket launcher. So it's kind of like ha 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 ha. And it's like walk through that 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 game um yeah i you know, honestly that game is like 
So have you paid attention to do – you, do you love like the workshop questions? Are you in the Discord? I am in the Discord. I only look at the questions every once in a while. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because I have been talking with players about like the workshop questions, and it's like fascinating to like actually – basically, for the folks at home um, – Something I do every day is I ask a question, which is called like a workshop question, right? Which is something that sometimes is like related to gone viral, where I'll be like, you know, what's your favorite mutation, right? Uh, And then sometimes I will ask a question that is like not related to gone viral, like in the year 1997, what's your favorite game that came out that year sort of thing. But like the the answers that you get from people are like really interesting. Like there are a lot of different players who have like different um, sorts of modes of operation in the game. Uh, so, like, for instance, I asked a question the other day about secret rooms, and there are some people who will, like, obsessively troll through a level until they find the secret room that's in every, that's in every like, level. And there are some people that are like, nah, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm, I don't even clear the map when I move on to the boss. As soon as I see the boss, I fight him and I move to the next level. So it's, like, it's, it's actually kind of interesting to see sort of the variety of folks who are um, approaching the game in different ways. Yeah. No, it's... it's, it's, it's... When I jump in, those those are definitely fun things to to watch happen. Um, also, I think just kind of like how roguelikes uh, appeal to different people. I think there's just like a whole whole variety there. Um, but aside from that, I also jumped into Grim Dawn for uh, a hot minute, um, which is like an ARPG. Um, has a similar a, a a similarly expansive tree for passives as. Uh, uh, as POE, maybe not quite as nuts as POE, but it is pretty nuts. It's like this giant constellation with stuff sprawled all over it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I also jumped back into Destiny 2 because the new expansion comes out in a couple of weeks. I was like, maybe I can re- rekindle this affection and uh, not so much. Uh, so I'm kind of running on empty. Oh, how could I forget? I watched the most important movie of the season. I watched Hubie Halloween, which uh, I, I did that so you guys didn't have to. Don't watch that movie. Uh, it is the trashiest Adam Sandler movie I have uh, seen, I think, ever. I, didn't, I haven't watched any of the other Netflix movies, so, you know, there's that. Um, it was not – no, you shouldn't watch it. But it was not, like, offensive. It was kind of, like, incredibly dumb. Um, incredibly simple plot. Um, a bunch of, like, cameos from people you'd expect. A couple from, from that you wouldn't expect, but, like, it's kind of, like – why did I bother watching this? Uh, so uh, uh, don't do that at all, ever. Um, Fair enough. That, that's basically my week. What about you, buddy? What, what did you do? Uh, well, listen, it starts with World and ends with Warcraft, I guess. I, I've been in this weird spot where I'm just like, I'm like so hyped. And I'm so interested in what's like happening with Prepatch and Shadowlands that the only game I want to play is World of Warcraft. But like, I don't want to play it in its current form. I want to play the new stuff. You know what I mean? Which, like, puts me in this very unsatisfying position of just, you know, pl- like, playing the game in, like, an unsatisfying way, in a way. Uh, but I have been my, – my big thing is I've been watching uh, – I've been, like, watching shows. So I watched, uh, like, all of Narcos, which, which we talked about. And I went back to – have you ever watched New Girl, the, the uh, Zoe Deschanel show no. with Jake Johnson? Uh, I feel like Jake Johnson's the guy who like really took off after that show. Honestly, I find it's it's a lot like Parks and Rec for me in a way where it's like or like The Office. People talk about kind of like going back to The Office year after year after year because um it's like comfort food like or like friend. It's like they have a parasocial friendship 
with like the people in the show or whatever. And I absolutely feel that about New Girl because one of the things about New Girl, it's kind of like Friends in a way. You know, it's like four people who all live together. Um, but uh, but they all live in L.A. and it's like a, it's a very L.A. show and a very L.A. story. Not quite as much as like I'd say like BoJack Horseman is kind of like the quintessential L.A. story, right? Or show. Um, but uh, but it's like it's very close and they deal with like a lot of like problems that I'm just like, how the fuck did they get this? You know, like into homes in middle America. Nobody's going to understand this or whatever. Like they talk about they talk about driving people to the airport with this like dread that I have never seen anybody else ever express about driving people to the airport. Like if I'm in Baltimore and driving somebody to the airport, oh yeah, sure, yeah, I'll give you a ride or whatever, right? Like, you know, in New Jersey, like, oh yeah, you need a you need to go to the airport. That's totally fine. I'll I'll give you a ride sort of thing. But like in Los Angeles, like if somebody's like, "Hey, can you drive me to the airport?" It's like, "Go fuck yourself. Never talk to me again." <laughs> like, and it's just like weird, weird stuff like that in the show that I find. Uh, I just find myself like really like. Uh, I find myself very, uh, very drawn to. LAX. Why would you want to go that direction? I mean, we live near LAX, so we actually get that. Well, so what we get is we get people who li- want to stay the night. They're like, "Hey, can I crash it in your apartment?" And I'll take an Uber to LAX in the morning. And we're like, "Yeah, sure." So that that's pretty common. Um, that's pretty nice. That's uh, pretty pretty low impact for you, right? Yeah, like you... All, yeah. All that that's definitely pretty low impact. Honestly, sometimes we will drive people ourselves. We'll just be like, "Hey, don't get a fucking Uber. Like, I'll take you over there." Because there's also a good bacon place near there that we like to go to. Um, uh, but uh, but like if you know, because and this is one of the things about like LA. People understand LA in a different way than other people because it's not like a normal city. LA is like two hundred little cities that are all next to each other. Uh, in a certain sense, but like when I lived in the valley, um, in Burbank, going to LAX is like an hour and a half, like two hours for like rush hour sort of thing. So if like if we're both in Burbank and you're like, hey, can you give me a ride to the airport? You are asking someone to you know like spend the next four hours in their car, right? Uh, yeah, it's like yeah, and I feel like that's the piece that people don't like quite understand. It's like, oh, Burbank is only like twenty miles from the airport. That's not bad if you're in Montana. If you're in LA, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, no, LA, LA is is the demon city, and uh, I do not envy you. Uh, not one bit. To be clear, I do love LA, and I would not want to live anywhere else. Uh, but that one specific thing, you know, it's a thing. Anyways, what else is? Uh, I don't know what else is going on. I've also just been like watching a lot of YouTube videos. Can I? Th- do you remember the episode that we did about that Patrick H. Willems thing? uh which one yeah. uh the shut up about plot holes oh yeah yeah yeah. we did a whole we did, i have been so into patrick gates willems recently his um his thing for for quarantine was he became a talk show host you know how like jimmy fallon and like you know john oliver are like doing their shows from like their house or whatever yes. um he was doing the same thing but it was kind of like a parody of that uh Fedor, we watched an episode where he joined the tcm wine club <laughs> which is yeah uh, I, I like a hundred dollars a month and Turner classic movies will send you a big box of wine and recommend classic movies to go with it. And it's just like fucking hilarious. So I don't know. I want to give that shout out, I guess, to, to your boy, Patrick. Ah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Hey, if it makes you happy, right. What it, I've been, watching. it's funny that like YouTubers have been going for so long um that like now i like go back and watch their show like their their shows like seasons or like episodes you know what i mean like i'll go and i'll watch an episode of 
Patrick H. Willems TV show sort of thing. But he's a YouTuber. But it's just that because he's been a YouTuber for the past five years, there is such a catalog of content, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, absolutely. I find that I find I do that sometimes with like um, new people I find or like people I haven't just watched or stuff. And I like recently, recently I started watching uh, a uh, a channel called like Normal Car Reviews, um, which is just like two dudes like waxing poetic about like very normal cars. Um, and I think the writing's pretty pretty top notch, which is uh, which is how how you get there, right? Like it's you know. Uh, like a fun ed- or somewhat edgy but well written bits about like you know uh, a normal car or at least like kind of like a maybe they're maybe they're a little bit unusual but they're not like um like they're not like you know crazy cars right it's like like they, mm-hmm. I think they recently did or I recently saw one on on the Centurion which is like some aftermarket company took Ford vans and like stapled pickup truck backs onto them um and you know, talk talking about like how these were like made for uh you know farmers um to like put their cattle uh or like their their livestock trailers to attach to um but like it'll be written very amusingly and you know have stuff about like I think there was something about like Thoreau and no no the Thoreau was a uh, bit was was in the um like uh the Ford Galaxy one it, it's just entertaining so stuff like that. Um, but yeah, get your point. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about anything else, Failner, before we 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 kick out of this? Punch out. This, of this? is this is your moment. <laughs> You're, you you have our you have our full single fan to talk to. <laughs> what do you want to say to that specific person? Yeah, Jimmy, you better listen well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, I really like apart from just playing Genshin and and playing oh, every once in a while getting on the wild raid like the one tuesday night to raid um uh i i've really just been sitting down with my partner and we've been watching uh netflix shows and and youtube the whole time we just recently finished a show uh it's called i think it's called the uh, haunting on bly manor for obviously because it's uh october we've been watching that we finished that um definitely recommend uh but otherwise, no. That's kind of that's kind of it for me. Okay, now you're making you're reminding me. Have I talked about Ma- Mango? This is for you. Have you ever heard of the the gay and wondrous life of Caleb Gallo? No. That is the most LA quote unquote TV show. It's a five episode web series on YouTube. Look it up. Watch it. It's great. <laughs> I I will vouch for that. I absolutely love it. We watched right. it. We watched it in Discord, where I was like, I had, I was like streaming through discord watching like the youtube video uh and we did this thing where we just like ended up watching the whole thing it's just so funny um i highly recommend okay i'll keep that in mind uh Felinor, do you want people to be able to reach you anywhere uh i don't really have any kind of any kind of handle twitter handle um so uh, you know maybe one day one of these days when i do my own thing <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, you're, you're always welcome to, 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 to anytime in the future, if you decide you've got something to plug, let us know and we'll, we'll plug it for you. But if you'd like to, um, uh, if you at home would like to tell us what you thought about today's episode, um, uh, about battle for Azeroth or, uh, Caleb Gallo or whatever else we talked about on this episode, feel free to reach out to us at nerdsplaygames.gmail.com or podcasts.nerdsplaygames.com. Uh, follow us on Twitch.tv, and I can confirm next week I have done 
the frame and assuming schedules don't even get in the way we can live stream this finally um after five years uh and uh rate and review us on itunes don't need to us on patreon if you feel like it uh, that's everything i have but do you have anything else you want to promote before we punch out uh, I do have one thing that I'm looking to promote, uh, which is that we're doing a Community Among Us game in the Akupara Games Discord server, discord.gg slash Games at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, so uh, October 15th. So if you want to play Among Us with big old, big old groupy groups, feel free to join us then. Yay. All right. Yay. Until next time, loyal listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.